Good morning, church. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus, second book in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 18. And as we're opening God's Word, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Gracious God, as we open your Word, we invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We all have a lot to learn. We have pretty firm ideas on the way things should be. And I pray, Lord, through uh, this study this morning that maybe we'll be a little bit more open in our thinking and really see the leading of your Spirit. May he guide us this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of background just before we jump into chapter 18. Karen asked me for a title, so a lot of thought, but paradigm shift needed is what I came up with. Paradigm shift needed question mark. Give you a little bit of background historically. The Israelites have been set free by God, Moses leading them out of Egypt into the desert. God wants to get them to the promised land. They have to learn how to uh, cooperate with him before they can get into the promised land. The Amalekites have just attacked essentially a defenseless people, and that is the immediate context at the end of chapter 17 for this account that we pick up in chapter 18. So the, the uh, warfare dynamic, the exciting deliverance from the Egyptian and um, the encounter with the Amalekites, now we're looking at a peaceful setting here, what I would call a learning moment, a learning moment for Moses and the people of Israel. As I was looking at the, um, what other people have said on, on this passage, I noticed that quite a few scholars um, don't pay a lot of attention to the verses that we're going to look at today. And it just doesn't seem as exciting as maybe deliverance from the Egyptians or fighting with the Amalekites or whatever it might be. But I believe that there's some valuable material here for where we are at at the Anderson Church in, at this stage of our journey as we're trying to get to the promised land. The scriptures say, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So the first character that we encounter here is Jethro. What do you know about Jethro? For example, did you know that he has another name? Okay, what is the other name? Don't you hate it when you have to pronounce these biblical names? I've been a pastor for many years and I, I'm clueless how to pronounce some of these names. But he has another name called Ruel, is my pronunciation. Jethro possibly means his excellency. Ruel means the friend of 
God. And I'm sure in biblical times it's not unusual to have two different names. Maybe one was your birth name, and maybe this um, other name is, is a priestly name, Jethro, honorary title as a tribal priest. So we're going to call, call him Jethro this morning, and he's called the priest, not a priest, the priest of Midian. So we all know that Moses is a very, very important VIP, very important person, Moses. Most of us know a little bit about Moses. Jethro also, within his culture, within his context, is a very important person called the priest of Midian. Now, in the Bible, the Midianites don't do too well. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 25 and in chapter 31, uh, they are called the enemies of God, idolaters. But here's a man that seems to be different, Jethro. He has this priestly role, and he seems to be taking it seriously. He's also introduced here as the father-in-law of Moses. And those of you know, who know that story know that Moses once fled on another occasion from Egypt when he was on his own, and he made his way to Midian, and he became friendly with Jethro's family, and he ended up marrying one of Jethro's daughters. Can anyone remember her name? Zipporah actually says it in verse 2. So this is a little bit about the context and the background of this man. And he had heard everything. Now there were details, of course, that he, but the big picture, the deliverance from the Egypt, from the Egyptians, certainly he would have heard about that. The news would have spread like wildfire. And he had a general picture how God was, was on the side of the Moses and the Israelites and how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Verse 2 says, after Moses had sent away his wife, Sipporah. Now, we don't really have a biblical account for that. And when it says he sent her away, it doesn't mean to say he divorced her. So sometimes when the Scriptures say someone sent, like a man sent his woman away, his wife away, then he would be divorcing her. But that's not the case here. For some reason, perhaps for their safety, so maybe he could focus on the commission that God had given him. For whatever reasons, he had allowed Zipporah and the children to go back to Jethro, and Moses' father-in-law, go back to their family. And I'm not really sure the time frame here, but it looks like he had, she, she and the children had been with Jethro's family for a while here. And in verse 2, it says he sent her away, away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I've become an alien in a foreign land. And the other name was Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So there's the general picture. Moses called by God to do a special work. And by the way, it's very interesting to go back to chapter 4 of Exodus and see the reason that Moses gave to uh, Jethro why he had to go to Egypt. I don't know if you, you and I would find that very convincing, but you find that in chapter 4. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, 
came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So the way that this is written, it seems to me that the Israelites were, Jethro is here, and the Israelites are getting closer and closer and closer to where Jethro lives, right? I think we can trace that through and find that easy to understand. And Jethro seizes his opportunity because he probably knows that these Israelites are heading for Canaan. Is there a chance that Moses is going to go to Canaan without his wife and children? Da 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 da. We don't really know. You got to read between the lines here, try and figure out what's really going on. And you can't show any pious bias. What does that mean? Well, we always want to put these biblical heroes on a pedestal. And sometimes I think we distort what the Word of God is trying to teach us by doing that. Moses was a great leader, right? Very great leader. But he was uh, frail like you and I, prone to make mistakes. So it seems as though it's a bit of a surprise. Maybe it's payback. Hey, you surprised me by sending my daughter and, and grandchildren back. No warning. Boom, they're just there on the dusty doorstep. Now we're coming back, and it's going to be a surprise for Moses. That's the way I interpret this. They're suddenly there. Word is sent to them. I, your father-in-law Jethro, hey, do you remember me? I'm coming to you with your wife and two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down. Culturally, that would have been what they did in those days, especially from one great leader to another, and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Doesn't say which tent. Ellen White says it was Moses' tent. Others would see it as Jethro's tent. So Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. What's missing? Ladies, what's missing? Hi, Zipporah! Give me a big hug. Bring those children to me. Hey, we can turn the TV on and see our soldiers coming back from Afghanistan. You can see lots of, some of, the, some of it is planned, of course. Sometimes it's a surprise. They surprise the, the family, the children. Don't see any of that here. Now, I do believe that Moses is happy to see her. And I'm sure he loves his children. But Moses has, as great a man as he is, he has lots of things to learn. And that will become clearer as we go through this passage. So, so he, Moses explains, fills in the details of what the Lord had done and how the Lord had saved them, it says in verse 8. 
Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord. Don't you like to hear people praise the Lord? I'd like to hear that more at Anderson Church. We talked a little bit about that in our Bible class this morning. Do we have reasons to praise him? He's praising for the salvation of Israel. Are we praising God for our salvation? To think that God would take us was spoken of as ungodly, as enemies of God, that he would save us with pure grace. It's an amazing thing. I've been a Christian now for over 40 years, and I'm still staggered by the goodness of God in saving me. Because I know for sure there was nothing in me that deserved to be saved. Pure grace, pure mercy. So we always have lots of things to praise God for, not just the nice weather, but the fact that He has saved us and is saving us and will save us, past, present, future. So Jethro is delighted in verse 9. He hears about all these good things the Lord had done. He praises the Lord in verse 10. And he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods. Now we've said that he's a Midian, Midianite. And they believed in many gods. Polytheism was, was uh, big in those days, as it still is today. But he's learning about the true God. It's kind of like a Naaman moment, it seems to me, if you know the story of Naaman. This pagan priest is being drawn closer and closer and closer to the true God. And it's debatable whether he just solely believes in this one God, but it seems that that's the way he's leaning. I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now, verse 12 alone is worth preaching on. There's a whole lot of sermons right there in that one verse. So Jethro hears, probably heard from lots of different people, that God had uh, delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. He got way more information from Moses, the leader of Israel, on the details of, of that deliverance, and he's just filled full of praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing. That should be the hallmark of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That should be the hallmark of God's people. See that when we went through the book of Acts over and over and over again. As the Spirit did amazing things for God's people, they just rejoiced, they just praised God. They heard, they praised, they experienced, and now they worship. Isn't that a, a, an appropriate response? When we come here to worship, do you know why we worship? The rationale for worship? We come here to worship 
Almighty God for His saving actions. Primarily, that's the reason we do it. Yes, He's Creator God, He's our Creator, and He's also our Redeemer. So in that context, in that culture, they sacrificed animals. All of this animal sacrificial emphasis in Scripture was all pointing to Jesus, right? Jesus, the one who would ultimately die for the sins, your sins and my sins on the cross of Calvary. Now, they wouldn't understand about Jesus' death on the cross like you and I understand it. I don't know if they even had a Bible in those days. They probably didn't. And maybe one of the lessons that we will learn before we're through with this passage is Moses needs time to write. We're going to see he's a busy bee. And many believe that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch. But anyway, here in verse 12, they worship. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. Now, this is something that Jethro had not seen before. So this is totally new. He may have heard about it, but this is totally new to him. So Moses took his seat, served as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. What do you think? Paradigm shift needed or not? Is there something wrong with this passage? We have one man. Is he a gifted man? You can speak to me this morning. Yes, he's a very gifted, talented man. He says, Lord, I can't speak. Don't give me that can't speak business. We'll, we'll use Aaron. This is a gifted man. In fact, it says in Scripture he was the meekest man on the earth. I don't know how, how um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number. Yes, yeah, so Moses wrote that. Okay, I have to think that one through. Um, but he's a very talented leader, no doubt about that. But there's something wrong with verse 13. Took his seat as judge. They stood around him from morning till evening. Now, I don't know how many Israelites there were. There are figures given to us in Scripture, and it seems like it was a lot of people. Some think as many as two million. One man judging two million people. Let me ask you this question. Was there a lot of work to be done? Was there a lot of work for somebody to do? Did that someone have to be just Moses? No. No matter how talented, no matter how gifted, Moses, you're the man. No one has your wisdom. No one understands the laws and the ordinances of God like you do. No one can pass judgment like you can. You're the man. And I don't know if Moses believed that, But I do know that the way he's ministering is upside down. Have you ever heard 
me talk about pastor dependency? Right here, in this verse, maybe we don't think of Moses as pastor, but he's the shepherd of the flock. It's pretty easy to make a case that he's the one to shepherd these people. And the way to do it is not to take the work solely on your shoulders. There is a work for Moses to do. God has gifted Moses to do specific ministry, just as he has gifted you and me to do specific ministry. Do you believe that? But let's be careful here. Let's know when to say no. Let's know how to plan ministry in a way so the burden doesn't fall on the one or the few. So let's see how Jethro uh, interprets this. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, well done, Moses, you're working so hard. Type A, CEO of Israel. Is that what Jethro says? What does he say? What is this that you are doing for the people? Big question mark. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, as these people are standing in the hot sun, and I don't know if they made these desert umbrellas, these desert brawlies, we call them in England. I, I don't know. I'm sure they had some way of protecting themselves from the sun. But is this a good way of making friends and influencing people when they're stood all day? Imagine if you're at the back of the line. Have you seen them in New York lining up for gas? Are they happy campers or not? So Moses wasn't probably winning too many friends by using this approach. He's certainly not using the gifts and the talent amongst the, the nation of Israel that he should be doing, and Jethro sees it real quick. Now, when you're so talented and gifted as Moses, why didn't Moses get it real quick? Why was it Jethro? Well, we'll, we'll I guess we'll never know that until we meet them face to face and try and figure that out, ask them that. But Jethro got it. Moses, here's Moses' answer. Tell me if it's a good one or not. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. One of the most important words that a leader can speak is N-O, no. Not me dealing with your problem, not me taking it upon my shoulders, if you're going to lead millions of people the way that God wants you to lead, you're going to have to say yes to some things and no to others. And every pastor, and I hope every parishioner, knows how to do that. Because the reality is we are all priests. I've dealt with that in another sermon, right? Don't think some of you believed it, but it's what the Scriptures teach. Every one of us has that priestly vocation. We all have a contribution to make. God has filled us with the Spirit, given us whatever gifts we need to advance His cause. And when that nominating committee calls, 
or sister so-and-so asks you to do something, you're always going to have to, to, to decide yes or no. Is this God's will? Is this the way to do it? Is this where, where I'm going to be feel that I'm going to make a contribution? Is this, is this something that's going to empower me as well as empower that ministry? All of those questions come into it. And I know there are times when we, we step into maybe a situation which, which really is not totally in our comfort zone, maybe some kind of emergency situation. I can understand that. But if you're going to do a ministry and you're going to do it with all your might, and you're going to be, it's going to be something that's going to turn you on, you want to get up in the morning, you want to do that ministry, it has to be something that you are equipped for. Moses was not equipped. No man or woman is equipped to do the whole work. We all have a piece of the whole. The last thing that God wants us to do, the last thing He wants us to do, is to be what we call nowadays burnt out. Burnt out. Don't you see the possibility here? This man's going to burn himself out. He's going to get a lot of these Israelites real mad at him because he's not going to be able to, to minister one-on-one with them. It's just going to it's just not enough time in the day to do all of that, and it's not according to biblical principles. Next week, I think I'll, I'll, I'll uh, share part two of, of this sermon, and we'll break down what some of those principles are. We'll see how, how the New Testament uh, role of ministry was built upon some of the principles that we find in Exodus 18 here. So Moses says, hey, the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Now, I'm not questioning Moses' knowledge. I'm not questioning Moses' understanding. He probably was a very gifted, talented man. He had this close relationship with God. So that's not an issue here. It's his methodology that we're talking. It's his style of ministry that we are talking about. Do we want everything to go through one person? If we do, it will be, back to the children's story, caterpillar pace. What do you want for the Anderson Church? Caterpillar progress, knowing that someone could stamp you out at any point, or do you want the butterfly experience? Jethro wants butterflies. Moses seems to be happy, I'm sure he wasn't really happy, with caterpillar progress. So Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Ooh, that hurts. Moses is working really hard. He's doing the best that he can do the way that he sees fit, right? So it might, have been, it might soften this a little bit if we threw a little bit of encouragement in there for Moses. So I'm going to do that right here. Throw it in for Moses. Hey, he's in heaven listening to this now, so... He knows that I'm on his side, right? A little encouragement for Moses, but then 
the rebuke. We saw that when I preached with Jesus uh, saying, you've lost your first love. You remember that sermon? When was that, by the way? Oh, last week, okay. Should remember that. Jesus encouraged them for their hard work, fighting heresy, speaking what is truth and what is not truth, standing for many things that are good. But, always the but, you've lost your first love. See how easy it is for pastors, even great prophets and priests like Moses, to lose focus, for congregations to lose focus. So sometimes we need a correction. The correction can come in many different ways. It can be from digging out biblical principles, which I think is the the best way to do these things. It can come from something we read in Ellen White's writings. It can be a dream or vision that God gives you, listening to that still small voice speaking through the mouth of a child. God has many, many ways of correcting us, getting us on track. And here's a teaching moment where God uses this pagan priest, Jethro, to correct Moses. What you are doing is not good. There's always a better way of doing things. Right? So, you're going to be hearing quite a bit from me and have done already about different ways of doing things in God's church. You don't have to agree with me, but if you disagree with me, you have to show me where I'm wrong. Or at least you have to show me what, why you disagree with me. We have a lot of issues now with uh, women's ordination and just a lot of stuff that's boiling in the Adventist church. And the sooner we get down to biblical principles, the better we're going to be. If we're going to divide, we will divide very quickly if we don't dig out the principles. We will always divide because we all have opinions on different things. But our opinions have to bow to the Word of God. So if the Word of God, if a principle, for example, one that I've been preaching on for a while now, if a biblical principle is that God, through the Holy Spirit, uh, gives gifts and abilities to people that He expects them to exercise to advance His kingdom, then I, as a leader, or you as a leader, some of you in this room today are Well, many of you are leaders in many capacities, whether you're a mother or father in the home with your family, in the workplace, or in the church of God. Then then the onus is upon the leaders to recognize those gifts. On the whole congregation to recognize those gifts and try and guide that individual into appropriate ministry. Of course, ultimately, they make the choice what kind of ministry they're going to do. Now, to me, that seems like a biblical principle that comes over and over again. It's much clearer in the New Testament when you go through the book of Acts and you go through some of these New Testament writings, but to me, it seems a biblical principle that if somebody is gifted to do ministry, unless there's some 
big, big reason, you know, they've just murdered 20 people or something like that, then if there's some very unusual reason why you can't allow them to do that ministry in your church or in your church family or in your community, then we should do everything we can because God has selected, God has chosen, God has equipped. All we're doing as a congregation is acknowledging that and then trying to guide them. We do have that responsibility too, especially pastors and elders, to guide them into appropriate ministry. Now, is that a biblical principle or not? Yes, it is, and it comes over and over again. So that's what what we do. So we dig these principles out. We don't say so-and-so cannot uh, do ministry here because their skin is a certain color, they're of a certain race, um, they're too poor, it's a gender issue, or their children, or whatever. Right? So yes, you could have a child that's very, very gifted. Would you have them as head elder of the church? Probably not if they're eight and nine years of age. But there is appropriate ministry for that child or adult to do. Moses was gifted, Moses was equipped, but he was exercising his gifts in the wrong way. And I think I'll wrap it up at this point here. Jethro gives him advice. So we've seen the arrival of Jethro saying, hey Moses, here's your family, here we are. And we've just started to see him giving advice to Moses. When we pick it up next week, we will see the kind of advice that Jethro gives, the response of Moses to that, and then, of course, how we can apply that in our church family right here in Anderson Church. Thank God for the Jethros. That advice can come. God used Balaam. Balaam, if you know anything about Balaam, whoa, he was one tricky, slimy individual. God used Balaam to give some of the greatest prophecies anywhere in Scripture. God can use anyone to correct us and get us on the path that he wants. Is the work big? How many billions live on planet Earth now? Seven billion? That seems a lot of people to me. Seven million seems a lot. Seven billion is mind-boggling. How many of them know about Jesus Christ? How many people in our community really understand that outside of Jesus there is no hope? Only in Jesus Christ. He's He's our representative. Only in Jesus can we be right with God. How many understand that? So, hey, we do lots of different ministry, all trying to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So find something that you can latch on to. Go to God in prayer. Find out how you are gifted, how you are equipped, whether it's doing ministry at RAA. Is is there a need there? From this pew, I should hear, yes, there is. There's a need 
in many, many places, but you can't fill all those needs, but you can find something where you feel that God wants you to minister, and you minister and have a fruitful ministry here from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done. Can you imagine hearing that from Jesus? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let me see the hands of those who want to experience the joy of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. He's the one altogether lovely. And even so many thousands of years ago, they were making sacrifice representing our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure, Lord, you got Jethro where you wanted him to be, as you did with Moses. And Lord, you can do the same with us. There is a paradigm shift that is needed. We want our church here to not crawl, but to fly with freedom. We want to see the Spirit working powerfully in each one of us. So make that our reality, Lord. And when we've made mistakes, or even if we're practicing those mistakes now, forgive us for them, Lord. Reveal them to us. Sometimes the hardest thing is to see that there is a better way of doing things. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.